Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Let's just say a person who's not even a believer, but they know that there's some standard. It's just, it's there. It's undeniable regardless of whether they even believe it or not because they live according to it and they feel good if they feel like they've lived up to the standard, whatever it is. They feel bad if they feel that they've lived below the standard. They feel condemned. And this is how the enemy keeps people in bondage and basically torments humanity. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 23, in a message titled, The Sufficiency of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Notice he, he talks about this worship of angels. And so this idea that somehow angels are more directly involved in our worship and in our relationship with God than they actually are. Now, angels are involved. We know that because the Bible tells us that angels are involved, but we don't communicate with angels. We don't have any direct contact with them. We're never encouraged to seek them or anything like that. You know, if God wanted to send an angel to us, he very well could do that. He did that, you know, throughout the scripture. But, you know, under the new covenant, it's the Holy Spirit that does that communication with us. So, but Paul's talking here about this spiritualism where they have actually a false humility. So there's an appearance of a humility, but Paul says it's a false humility. And there's a worshiping of angels involved in this. And then he says about them intruding into, basically intruding into the unseen realm. They are arrogant, they're lifted up with pride and they're driven by the flesh. And so he's talking about people who are, who are hyper-spiritual, but their hyper-spirituality has caused them to not trust fully in Christ, but to trust in these other things to trust in angels somehow, that angels are, are somehow a factor in our, like I said, our worship, our relationship with God and so forth. We don't know the exact details of, of what all of that meant, but of course we can see this kind of thing still today. There are times when people will just come up with ideas that are, they're ideas that are gonna take a person away from trusting in Christ alone. And with the advent of the internet, you can find thousands of these. Don't go searching for them. Take my word for it. You can find thousands of these aberrant ideas where people are, you know, seeking to, to draw. And, and again, remember, there's a spiritual force behind this. They're seeking to draw people away from their full confidence in Christ, put their confidence in something else. But I like the way Paul puts it here. He says, intruding into the unseen realm. And that's what's happening here. They're, they're trying to go into a space that they have no ability to get into, no right to go into. And it's because of arrogance. And because of this arrogance, they are being driven by their fleshly mind and they're no longer trusting in their connection with the head. So it's, it's the picture of a body that's kind of become spastic because it's disconnected from the head. 
And so Christ is over. He's triumphant over spiritualism. And then fourthly, Christ is triumphant over asceticism. And so that's what he deals with when he comes to verse 20. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So let's talk about asceticism for a moment. What is asceticism? Asceticism is the harsh treatment of the body in order to merit divine favor and spiritual power. Asceticism has been a problem from the earliest days and and Paul's addressing it right here. You know, it's that idea that the body is evil and so the body must be suppressed and the body must be treated harshly if we're really going to please God. And this crept into the church and has in some ways almost subconsciously remained in many manifestations of the church. And I, I think one of, the, one of the most pronounced versions of it is in Roman Catholicism. Because in Roman Catholicism itself, there is the undercurrent that pretty much you know, emphasizes this kind of a thing where you, in order to really be right with God, you must, you must deal harshly with the body. This is where the, the monastic ideas came in, that you would separate yourself completely from the world, that you would separate yourself from all the pleasures of the world, from the pleasures of food, from the pleasures of you know, romance and sex and those kinds of things that, you know, so there would be a, a vow of celibacy and, and these kinds of things. Now, if a person wants to take a vow of celibacy, that's fine. As long as you don't think that this is what must be done in order to obtain God's favor. And that was the mistake that was made. And so it was manifested in these kinds of rules. Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. And notice he says that these are the doctrines and the commandments of men. So the idea that you're going to somehow obtain the favor of God by not touching, not tasting, and not handling things, that's not Christianity. And and this has been one of the most subtle and one of the most damaging doctrines throughout the long history of the church because it's put people in this place where you're, Religion is oppressive. Religion is to, to put you down. Religion is to prevent you from becoming, you know, the person that you could potentially be. And you must do all of this in order to somehow hopefully save your soul. And so people see that as Christianity and they say, well, I don't want that. And understandably, who does want that? That, but know this, that's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. Paul says that these things are the doctrines and the commandments of men. Now, I mentioned Roman Catholicism. I'm not here to pick on Roman Catholics. I just want to make a couple of observations. Within the Roman Catholic system, of course, you have in their priesthood, you have the requirement of celibacy. So the priests have not married historically in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this is 
part of this ascetic idea that as a really holy person, you are going to deprive your body of that pleasure of having a relationship with a woman. Now, the problem, as we're going to see in the final verse here, the problem is that doesn't really do anything to change your inward disposition. And we know that's a fact because we've seen all of the scandals within the Catholic Church over not just recent years, but over the centuries, sexual scandals. And it's due to this imposition of this celibacy on the priest that the scriptures never validated. That is not a scriptural idea. It's an ascetic idea. And so Paul, he, as I said, he is showing that this is not the gospel. And he says about this, notice he says that these things have, verse 23, an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body. Oh, so they have an appearance of wisdom. And, and it is true, whether it's you know, the Roman Catholic priesthood, or if it's a Buddhist monk, or if it's a Hindu priest, or whatever it is, you know, there's this sense of, oh, you know, look at this wise person, and you know, they've really understood how to navigate life, and they've denied themselves, and all of this stuff. And whether it's in those kinds of places that we see it, or maybe just, you know, the person in the evangelical church who is that one who, oh, well, I, you know, I just live a life of self-denial. Oh, well, you know, I can't do that because I'm fasting this week or whatever, that kind of stuff. Oh, it seems like, wow, that, that's really holy. That person is a wise man. Paul says it's an appearance of wisdom, but it's only an appearance. And then he says this, and this is the amazing thing. He says, because these things are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, this is not how you live a life that pleases God because this doesn't, it doesn't work. That's the problem. It might look like it's working because outwardly you might seem to be humble. Paul says it's a false humility. Uh, Outwardly, you might seem to be holy. Outwardly, you might seem to be spiritual. Outwardly, you might seem to be a wise person because you've denied yourself of all of these things. But Paul says the reality is these things are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, this will not conquer your flesh. Asceticism will not conquer your flesh. The only thing that can conquer your flesh is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says to the Galatians, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, an illustration here, and an excellent case in point, I already mentioned the monastic lifestyle, but let's talk for just a quick second about the reformer, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a monk. And Martin Luther was a monk who was deeply dedicated to the idea that he could, through an ascetic life, that he could kill these desires within him and, and therefore please God. But what Luther discovered, hidden away in his monastery, what he discovered is that all of those passions and all of those things were still raging within him, no matter how much he denied himself. Even though he wasn't practicing those things, the desire to do them was still there. And he came to that place of just despair 
You know, how, how can I even go on? But he actually came to the best place you could come to. He came to the place that Paul came to, trying to please God under the law, where he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And it was when Luther realized that all of his diligent efforts to suppress his desires by treating his body harshly and all of that, he realized that it was futile. It did not accomplish what he thought it was going to accomplish. It was then that he cried out for God's mercy. He realized, no, the just shall live by faith, by faith in the finished work of Christ. And so that's what Paul is dealing with here. And he's just telling us that, again, the whole point is that asceticism or ceremonialism or ritualism or spiritualism, these have no place in your life because you're in Christ. And in Christ, you're complete. As, as we pointed out before, there's, there's nothing you can add to this. Now, let's go back. And as I said, I wanted to tie everything together by looking again at verses 13 through 15, because this is the key. And the key is the cross. Christ's victory over all is the victory that comes through the cross. So I, I want to read verses 13 through 15 again, but I'm going to read them from the NIV. So listen, it says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. These are the spiritual powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. So you see, what Paul is saying is because of what Jesus did on the cross, this idea that you need to be circumcised or that you need to keep certain holy days or that you need to eat certain types of food or avoid certain types of food or you need to treat your body harshly or you need the assistance of angels, all of that. Paul is just saying that is just not even remotely what the gospel is proclaiming. The gospel is proclaiming the total and complete work of Christ in saving us. And our job is to trust in that. So look at, look at what he says in verse 13. He says that he's forgiven our sins or our trespasses. So that's where it all starts. He's forgiven our sins. Our past is our past. And God's forgiven it. And as the psalmist reminds us that as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. So he's forgiven us our sins. And then he says, this is the interesting thing here. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way by nailing to the cross. What is this handwriting of requirements that was against us? That was the law. The law are the requirements of the, this is what God requires for a person to be accepted by him. Why does Paul say it's against us? It's against us because we can't keep it. And so the law is holy, just, and good. Like he says in Romans seven, the problem is I am sinful. 
I'm sold under sin. So this law has become, rather than something that could save me, it has become something that condemns me. It, it was contrary to me, but listen to what he says. He says that Jesus, by the cross, he took that law and he nailed it to the cross. And so what he did is he removed the condemnation of the law by meeting its requirements. We couldn't meet its requirements and therefore we stand condemned under it. But Jesus comes and he does what we can't do. He meets the requirements of the law and he not only meets the requirements of the law, then he on the cross pays the penalty for those who had fallen short. And so now the law is no longer a factor. The law is removed. It's no longer condemning me because Jesus kept it. And he's perfectly righteous. And now I'm not under the law as a means of righteousness. I'm in Christ. And in doing that, he goes on and he says this. He says that through this, he has disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Now, this is fascinating. What does this even mean when it says that he disarmed these powers of darkness? And see the connection here. The connection is when he met the requirement of the law, nailed it to the cross, removed it. This is how he disarmed the principalities and powers. How does that happen? Well, you see what he did Jesus took away their power to hold us in bondage to condemnation and fear. You see, the law was the leverage that the principalities and powers held over us and and over all people. Because even outside of the Jewish context, if you look at the ancient world and if you look at the present world, everybody, and it's interesting because Paul here when he's speaking about the principles of the world in verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, the principles of the world could be translated the elemental spirits. And the idea there is that this universal experience of people knowing they're falling short of a law of some sort, living in condemnation, living in fear that leads to idolatrous practices of making sacrifices to the gods and all of those kinds of things. This is a way that the principalities and powers keep humanity in bondage. And what Paul is saying to the Colossians is don't go back under that. You have been brought out from that. But this is how it worked because when we know that we've sinned, or we, we, let's, let's say we don't even call it sin. Let's just say a person who's not even a believer, but they know that there's some standard. It's just, it's there, it's undeniable, regardless of whether they even believe it or not, because they, they live according to it and they feel good if they feel like they lived up to the standard, whatever it is. They feel bad if they feel that they've you know, lived below the standard. They feel condemned. And this is how the enemy keeps people in bondage and basically torments humanity. But Jesus came and for those who put their trust in him, he took their power away from them they are no longer able to keep us in bondage to condemnation and fear. 
So you see, in Christ, I know I'm not condemned. So in Christ, I have no fear of this judgment looming over me that forces me to try to do something to free myself from that. That's all done away with in Christ. I think there's a picture that illustrates this in the scripture in Zechariah. There's a picture in Zechariah chapter three of the high priest Joshua. Let me read it to you. It says, then he, the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this man, Joshua, not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your sin from you. I will clothe you in rich robes. This picture right here is basically what Paul is talking about how those principalities and powers have now been disarmed because in the cross, the Lord has rebuked them. That condemning voice, that leverage that the principalities and powers hold over humanity because of our failure to live up to the law, that's all been done away with in Christ. Now, of course, the vast majority of people in the world don't know that and haven't embraced that. So they go on living under all of these different standards. You know, even our secularists today, even our atheists in our culture, you find that they have strong moral standards. Their moral standards are different than what we would have as Christians, but they're strong moral standards. And if you violate them, you're condemned. And in some cases, you, you should be judged. They, they want to judge you for violating. But it just shows the reality that there is this thing that's working that all people know about that there is an obligation to a law that I'm not living up to. And so Jesus, just like the Lord rebuked Satan, who was there to accuse Joshua, and then the Lord provided that righteousness for Joshua, that's what's happened for those who trust in Christ. So we see here Christ's victory over sin, over death, and over the spiritual powers. And we see that it all comes through the cross. And so his death and resurrection forever secures all who put their trust in him. Nothing to be added. It is finished. Christ is victorious over all. He is all we need. That's what Paul is telling the Colossians. Christ is all you need. You have Christ. There's nothing to add to Christ. If you try to add to Christ, you're diminishing from his work. So what does that mean? That means just simply keep trusting him. That means rest in him. That means go deeper and deeper in him. And you will find not only all the fulfillment and satisfaction and cleansing and, and all of that, you'll find that, but you'll also find the power to live the way God wants you to live. And you'll find the purpose that he has for you.
For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. We live in a body that is subject to age, accidents, and ailments. Entire industries are built around the age of our body, the accidents we may face, and the ailments we eventually face through time and circumstance. So is there a purpose in the bodily brokenness we are either facing or will face in the future? Is physical death the temporal climax of our bodily existence? Or is the body just a shell from which we are to ultimately escape? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions, or you know someone who wants to know more about the ultimate purpose of the body, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.